Could I just say that's the first time I've ever heard I speak Jesus song. That is a winner, Nick Gonzalez, Jackie. I, I, I'm, you have no idea. Those, I need to speak those words over things in my life. And My name is David Vaughn. You may have forgotten who I was. And uh, Before I jump into that and talk about emotion today, we're going to talk a little bit about that. I just want to, again, celebrate and speak Jesus and, uh, and celebration over Joey, who was baptized today by Jake. And what I know, because his mom is here and she told me that you don't know, is today is Joey's 24th birthday. So think about that. Think about that. Spiritual birthday, physical birthday. So, hey, good morning. I know some of y'all are usually first service people. For some reason today, you decided to go to second service. People are so happy in Cincinnati right now. They lost an hour of sleep. It's cold. It's snowy. I'm not happy either. I, I, I paid $75 to fill up my gas tank yesterday. My, my dermatologist, some of y'all are wondering if I've been in a fight. My dermatologist removed a suspicious place on my face. We're all good, but they removed it just to be safe. And I'm, I'm really worried about this ruining my natural good looks. <laughs> but it is great to be back. Uh, if some of you were wondering, because of my absence, if I was already retired, I have not. Uh, I usually take a summer break, in, a study break in the summer, but I, I needed to take one now. I, I've been very busy uh, this past month. I've been tra- traveling, spending time with Donna in South Carolina, seeking some counsel from close friends and kind of preparing uh, for the next assignment as your ambassador, uh, which will be helping other pastors. I, I just need to get away to do some thinking and listen to God as I shape my final laps and months uh, here. We tell you all the time to ask two questions. What is God saying and what, what am I supposed to do about it? What, what is God saying to me and what am I going to do? And I just did that myself. Like, God, what are you saying to me and what am I going to do about it? You may have heard, uh, I know John mentioned it uh, also, that Donna and I, along with Kelly and JT, attended a a megachurch pastor wives conference also at the end of February. You may have heard the gathering was in Las Vegas. Now, it was a wonderful time. Uh, Donna and I, we toured the Grand Canyon. We saw the fountains at the Bellagio, first time we've ever been to Vegas. I went to Blue Man Group. I love bald guys that don't talk. I mean, I say it's great. Now, we did not hike on a mountain like JT and Kelly. We did something much more spiritual. Uh, Don and I went to the casino. But uh, anyway, now stick with me. Don't, don't kick me out yet. I have never gambled in my life. I'm a little frugal when it comes to stuff like that. I've never gambled before. But a good buddy of mine gave Donna a $100 bill to take to Vegas, knowing we weren't going to spend our money on it. And he said this, find a game called the Wheel of Fortune and put all the money on that and just put it all on the line. I was so excited. I was so determined to win. In fact, that's the word we're going to talk about today, determined. I just knew I was going to win a bunch of money, retire all the debt of Whitewater, live high. So we did that. You can see a picture here that was taken to me at the Wheel of Fortune in Vegas. Oh, my mom and dad would be so proud. Anyway, (laughs) it only took me, though, about three minutes. You know where I'm going. 
for that $100 to turn into $1.55. And here's a picture of my winnings. If you had time, you could zoom in to verify my voucher that I'm holding, $1.55. Apparently, I am no good at gambling. So I had to inform my benevolent friend that I lost nearly all of his money. <laughs> One of my pastor buddies that, I, that was at the conference, I was telling him a story, and he told me, he said, Vaughn, that was the best thing that could ever happen to you. God smote you so you wouldn't be tempted to gamble ever again. And I got to tell you, it worked. I, I don't want to spend any of my money or his money again. So anyway, it's been an adventure, and it's good to be back, and it's good to see you. I'm poorer than I was, but it's been richer in lessons learned from God. And today we launch a brand new series that will walk us through the last week of Jesus' life, heading up to the Easter and the resurrection. And I want, we are going to talk with you, especially today, about all of the emotions of Jesus. There's something that happens, and I don't know when it is, where as you age and get in different stages, you get emotional, more emotional than you used to. When I was a young guy, nothing made me cry. I was strong. I, I prided myself on never, never shedding a tear, man. But as I have gotten older, and, and especially in this season of the church, I cry all the time. Somebody brings me a cup of coffee, it tastes good, I cry. I, mean, I cry at McDonald's commercials. I cry at stupid stuff. I, I, I cry at significant stuff. There's something about your emotions that God uses for his glory and your good. So we're doing this huge run-up celebration. I can't wait for us between now and Easter. And it, it, we've just bundled together a full week of community and prayer and worship. On April 17th, we're going to celebrate Easter together here as a church family. In person, online, you'll hear about Saturday, Sunday service times. I, I keep wondering, <laughs> so I hesitate to say this. I think the worldwide pandemic may be winding down. <laughs> this Easter is going to be awesome. I'm just telling you, we're going to celebrate like never before after a couple of years. But that's uh, April 17th. And then on April 21st, our friends Big Daddy Weave are going to be in the house. They're going to help us uh, worship. And it, it, they're gonna well, they've been here before. It's been great. So grab your tickets uh, online or at the info desk. And then the next week after that, April 24th, we're going to give anybody here watching online and in the room, anybody who has never uh, submitted and surrendered to Jesus' call and example to go all in with baptism, we're going to invite you. We're going to have, a, 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 I hope, a, a God-moving, Spirit-anointed April 24th all-in service. So it's going to be a great week. We, we're kind of bundling it all together for the best Easter week ever. Um, so we're going to celebrate between now and then. However, yes, I, I'm glad that a couple of us are happy. <clears throat> Before we get to Easter and the resurrection, though, you have to rewind and go all the way back to day one of Jesus' final days. And as we rewind today, it all goes back to Jesus being torn. This is the name of our series. It's on the logo behind me on the screen. See, to understand the uh, context 
of the emotions of Jesus, we first need to understand that Jesus was torn and he was living in a torn world. And it affected him. You cannot live in this world and have a heart like Jesus if you're not torn about some stuff. In Jesus' day, let me set the context for you. The Jews were in a Roman-occupied Jerusalem. The Jewish people were torn on how they should live in that occupied world. Should they rebel against it, submit it? The leaders were torn in how God would have saved them through a Messiah. They were looking for an earthly king. He was a spiritual king in a spiritual kingdom. In the middle of all this, Jesus is walking through his last days knowing that he would soon tear down the dividing wall of hostility and religion and connect people in relationship back to God. Jesus saw the temple, the way of the old covenant, and he knew in his mind he would be the one that ripped that and teared that all down to establish a new way, a, a new covenant of grace and not law. The veil in the temple was even torn to symbolize that. Every single moment and minute in Jesus' final week was a reminder of the torn physical and spiritual reality of his world. And I was thinking about it as I've been reading about Jesus last week in preparation for this series. Jesus' heart was torn long before his body was torn by the whip and on the cross. Yet Jesus had this unbelievably marvelous way of modeling how to have balance, harmony, health in your heart, your mind, your soul, and in your emotions. Now, as humans, we are kind of torn ourselves between good and evil, but it's a different kind of torn that Jesus had. We're torn as, as, as humans. Some of us go through our week with one voice on this shoulder, another voice on this shoulder, trying to tell us what we should do, good or not, and we're torn. I, I was like, I experienced it in Vegas. I was torn between attending additional pastor sessions and going back and trying to win my money back on the slot machine. I, I chose wisely the pastor session. I was torn. Our duality is at opposition with each other. But Jesus' duality is the example that I want to aspire to, that we want us to aspire to, of how to manage and channel and focus those emotions. Because Jesus, in his duality, was both the Son of Man and the Son of God. He was the lion, yet he was the lamb. He was the king, yet he was the servant. He was the beginning, yet he was the end. He, he mastered his emotions. And our challenge is to master ours. Jesus' example of how to bring hope and help to a world that is torn. And Jesus entered into every emotional concern, every emotional brokenness that you and I lean into. The Bible says he does not sympathize as someone who doesn't know our weaknesses. He knows exactly how we are. So as Jesus was going through his last week, he was seeing the wreckage around him, and he was torn. His community of origin in Palestine was torn. It was ravaged by war, chaos, occupation. It would actually ironically look and feel very familiar to what our Ukrainian brothers and sisters are going through right now. So speaking of that, I just want to call a time out in my message. I want to pause again this week and, and just invite you to pray with me for Ukraine. Would you be willing to do that? JT and I have a pastor friend we met in Vegas called named Glenn Elliott. 
And we talked with him. He served in Ukraine as a while as a missionary. And he gave the devotion one day to our pastors. And I was broken. I was torn by what he had to say. He said he has a Ukrainian pastor he's been in contact with and still coaching, even though he's in the States, still coaching via Zoom them. And this pastor is risking everything to serve his community, to be there for the one by all means necessary. This Ukrainian pastor told him that just two weeks ago, when uh, the Russians were starting to come into Kiev and starting to, to uh, press in into the capital city, that there, there was a hospital, he said. In fact, I wrote the words down. I, I couldn't believe it. He said that the church people rescued, his church people there in Ukraine, rescued 50 babies in the capital that were abandoned at a hospital as the Russian forces marched in. Just 50 kids. And in spite of the danger, the church ran to the sound of the gun and rescued and have adopted those babies in their church. Friend, it's the church working right. Think of the emotion of that moment. The pastor said, it's a strange mixture of things for us here in Ukraine. Every day, you live life in a drawn-out cycle. There's shooting, there's bombing, but yet there's serving, there's singing, there's laughing, there's dying, there's hugging, there's crying, there's helping, there's hoping. We're going on. Gosh. And some of us are worried about getting the ice off our windshield. Some of us are worried about losing an hour of time. These folks are struggling, friend. So I thought I would just pause and invite you to join and pray with me, maybe your own words, but I want to use the words that he asked us to pray for, our Ukrainian pastor friend. So bow your head. Let's pray. God, we, as our Ukrainian brother asked us to pray for, we pray for a miracle to stop the war and killing of innocent civilians. We start there. God, do something to stop this war. We pray collectively and individually today for all the people involved right now, believers and non-believers alike, who are courageously sacrificing to save those in need, and they are exhausted. I pray the Spirit would give them extra strength and extra grace. We pray for believers to be bold and share the good news of Jesus Christ right now through action and word. We pray for safe humanitarian corridors to open up that have been closed or new ways to open up in order to get needed supplies to people and people out of that hell they're going through. Now God, we know that this is not a surprise to you. you. You told us that in the last days before you come again, that there would be wars and rumors of war. And I believe, God, this, that we're living within the pangs of a birth, a birth of a new world, a new creation, of a new com second coming, where you will return to earth and once and for all vanish equal and elevate good. So God, may we lift up our brothers and sisters there 
realizing that our country has a lot of problems, but there's nothing any greater than the United States of America to be in, to be born in, to live in. And we pray we would use our resources and our leaders would have wisdom so that we can help those who are last and least and lost right now and broken and torn. And so right now, God, we lift that up in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for praying for them and us. So we are torn, moved. If you're not, something's wrong with your heart. We're moved by the brokenness of our world. Jesus was too. And even though Jesus was torn, and here's the word I want to emphasize today besides torn. Even though Jesus was torn on this first of his last seven days, he was determined. That is a word I want you to burn indelibly in your mind. You can be torn, but you can be determined. That's our word, our emotion for the day. And we see the determinedness of Jesus in the midst of tornness in the story of the triumphal entry. Now, we usually preach on this when it's Palm Sunday and we have Fromms and all that. So I want to revisit Mark chapter 11, but I want to do it in the context, if I could, of Jesus' emotions, what he was feeling in his heart, what he was thinking in his mind, what, what kind of pathos, ethos, did Jesus have as he entered triumphantly on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem? So I want you to, I want to point out some things that maybe you haven't heard about in your Sunday school lesson of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. It says in verse 1 of chapter 11 of Mark, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. It's actually a donkey colt, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. Now, let me pause there. Nobody ever rode that donkey. I don't know if I get on a donkey that was never been ridden. Jesus, he doesn't care. This is very interesting, too. You remember when Jesus finally died, and speaking of Easter, they put him in a tomb. They laid him in a tomb which no one had ever used. Same thing with the donkey here. If anyone asks you why you're untying that colt, that donkey, and doing this, here's your answer. This is fascinating to me. Just say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. In other words, I'm just going to borrow your burrow, right, just for a little bit. Now, I've been thinking this is a good principle for me to start to try. In today's, it wouldn't be a donkey or a colt. It would be like your car. So I've decided my car's about five, six years old. I don't like it anymore. I, th- I was hoping to win money, buy a new one. Didn't happen. So I've been looking out in the parking lot in between services today. I see a Corvette out there I'd like to borrow. I see an SUV I'd like to borrow. And I'm going to go out there and take it. And if you want to know why, I'm just going to say this. The Lord needs it. Don't, don't worry about it. I'll send it back shortly. Maybe I won't try that. Anyway, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, this is legit. What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to. And the people, now don't miss this, the people let them go. 
They let the donkey and the people go. Now, let me pause right here. What do you have in your hands, in your possession, that the Lord can use that you are willing to let go? Is it a car? It is really not your car, or it's his car. How about a house? How about a boat? How about money? How about advice? How about time? How about talent? How about something that you are clutching, but the Lord can use it better than you are using it? One of the things that I love about our church, and again, my remaining months here will be kind of reviewing things we've learned, and you'll hear this today. One of the things I love about our church, it's deep in our DNA, is if we have something that may be valuable to us, we're willing to trade what we love for something we love more, which is for Jesus and winning lost people and helping the poor among us. We are willing to release, to let go some of our stuff and not clutch it, but open-handedly give it away. It's what's put us in the position we are now. It's part of our DNA. We've done multiple capital campaigns here over our year. And we have one of our longest ones that's coming to an end this spring, which we're going to celebrate called The Promise. It helped build this worship center, helped did all kinds of stuff. Some of us in this crowd, some of you watching online have been a part of these capital campaigns. I think out of my 20-year ministry, we've been in capital campaigns like 18 years. I think we had a year of jubilee in there somewhere. But uh, some of us know, we, David, we, we, we've given, we've released. Yes, you have. I remember in one of our campaigns, we needed some money for this facility, and I just preached a message really from this text. I said, what do you have in your hand that you could offer to God to let go? What's valuable to you could be more valuable to him. And we had a guy in the church, I'm not going to say his name, but he owns a restaurant down the road. And um, he showed up in my office one day with these blue plastic cases and stacked them up. It's 15 or 20 of them. I said, what are these blue hard shell cases. He said, these are my guns. I have a gun, a Colt gun collection. So whenever I read this, I immediately think he literally gave up his Colt. And I didn't realize how valuable this collector item, this collection was. He said, how many guns does a guy need? I said, exactly. And he bring, brought all of those Colts and said, I'm going to give these to God. We auctioned them off. We sold them a significant amount of money that he gave up for God to use, and you're sitting in some of the fruit of that. <laughs> it's just wonderful. What do you have to release? Say, David, man, you're talking about giving. Could I just say this to you? You're not going to follow Jesus without sacrificing something. You're not. If that hurts your feelings, you know, find another benevolent organization where you can be a member and benefit from. The church is all about sacrifice. But in the sacrifice is the blessing. You, you go ask that restaurant owner now if he regrets anything he's given. <laughs> he would say, I should have gave more. And he did because God blessed him. We shovel it out. God shovels in. He got a bigger shovel. By the way, side note to this story, I was speaking at a little tiny church way down in Kentucky. And I, I, they were getting ready to go through a capital campaign. And I told him this story about the guns. And while I was telling the story, I noticed the preacher in the back row was just smiling, smiling. Told him about you know all this, and I, I showed the church. In fact, after Mark, after that guy gave those guns, <laughs> excuse me, I messed up there. 
after he gave those guns, the next Sunday, don't you know, I brought all those guns up on stage and I opened up the boxes. Our security people were really nervous that day. Like David got a lot of guns. I held them up. I told the story. Well, I was down in Kentucky and I told this whole story about the guns and how I brought them out and it motivated people to release their donkeys and colts. And after it was over, I asked the preacher why he was smiling when I told him. He said, Dave, you're not going to believe this. He said, there's a lady that just joined our church down here. And I told her to go to Capitol Capitol. And she said, well, good. I hope you do it different than the church I used to be part of. He said, well, what does that mean? He said, my former preacher is a bald guy. And he came up one Sunday with a whole big stack of Colt revolvers and held them up and brandished all all around. (laughs) I knew exactly who she was talking about. And so did he. So good luck. I hope she gave something. But anyway, I, uh, Mark and I laugh about that story. But what is it that you should give up? They let them go. And don't you think that brought the emotion of joy to Jesus Christ? And when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw his clo- their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And now we're getting ready to go into the triumphal entry. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted. In fact, Luke, in a parallel passage, says that the whole crowd joyfully praised God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They got loud. It was awesome. It was a Shabbat moment. Hosanna, what are they saying? Hosanna, which is a Hebrew expression for save. It's an explanation of praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. After they finished that, notice this verse. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything. I love that. He looked around at everything. What was he looking at? Well, you're going to find out next week when JT gets back and turns some tables like Jesus did. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. And then over in Luke, we have uh, Dr. Luke here gives us a uh, a comment, uh, a part two to this story of the triumphal entry that we don't have in the other account. He says this, after the Pharisees heard them saying, blessed is he, Hosanna, come in the name of the Lord. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to to shut up. See, not everybody that's present in the crowd are followers of Jesus, in this crowd or any crowd. They're not even fans. Rebuke your disciples. I love what Jesus says. I tell you, he replied, if they, those stones keep quiet, if they keep quiet, those followers, even the stones will cry out. Even the stones will cry out. In other words, the stones are smarter than you. At least they know to open up their mouth. Again, it's an emotional thing because notice the next verse. As he approached Jerusalem, as he's going through that triumphal entry, as he got closer to the city of David, the city he loved, and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. There are only a few times where it says Jesus wept. This is one. 
That so shows Jesus' heart. He knew what was coming, but they didn't understand it or they wouldn't accept it. Could I ask you a question? When's the last time you wept over our city? When's the last time you wept over our country? You wept over a lost member of your family. When's the last time you had somebody who really meant a lot to you that was going away, you knew wasn't right, and you tried to tell them, but they got to learn it the hard way? When you know judgment day's coming, but they don't care. In fact, one of my goals as I get closer to heaven is to keep warning people that there is another judgment day coming. And make no mistake about it, he's coming to reward the faithful, but he's coming to punish the evildoer. Don't think that God's not going to turn, turn a, head, a blind eye to all that you're doing, all that we are doing. There is a judgment day. The second coming is coming. Friend, I think we're living in the last days. There's going to be a day that God will say, enough, I'm coming. And those that are ready who have a relationship with him, they're going to heaven. Those that are not, they're going to hell. It's as simple as that. Don't think everybody's going. This is like real stuff. This is hard truth. So I'm just going to commit the rest of my life to saying there's a real heaven, there's a real hell, real people are going there, and judgment day is coming. The only reason he's held his hand back now is to wait for some of you to be in relationship with him. So you have hope. And he tries to warn the city of Jerusalem, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. This is kind of like an oracle of doom. It's a prophecy. They'll build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You didn't recognize what was right in front of you in me, in the good news. And this actually happened in 87 with Roman Emperor Titus who just came in and knocked the city all the way out. Jesus, in his heart of hearts, in his emotions, is weeping over people who will soon crucify him. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, it wasn't the city of David that was once the greatest of all in Jewish history. It was occupied by the Romans. It was full of chaos. It was full of corruption. It was full of violence. It was full of division. <laughs> Any of those things sound familiar to you right now? I mean, consider the, the, the collision of emotions that Jesus is experiencing here. He's from heaven, but he's from earth. Think about the pathos of the triumphal entry. Jesus is on his way to his own crucifixion, his own funeral, although people didn't know it, and people are applauding. I mean, Pilate would have heard all the people shouting, Hosanna, praising Jesus, and wondered what's going on with this guy, which may have been why Pilate questioned the people so much when they called for Jesus' crucifixion. One of the things I've learned as a seasoned pastor now is how fickle, how fickle the crowd can be. One moment's, one day's hero the next is a zero or a villain. You, trust me, you can go from that penthouse to the outhouse really fast as a leader. What a fickle crowd. One day they wanted to, this day, coronate him as king. The next day they wanted to crucify him. Never cater to the crowd. That's my advice to JT, because the crowd is fickle. Follow the crucified one. 
And one of my favorite verses and snapshots of Jesus in this whole section is found in Luke chapter 9. It's the setup for everything that you just read. Something happened, it says to Jesus, right before he headed down for the triumphal entry to Jerusalem. Let me read it to you and then finish out with that thought. It's found in Luke 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, to go to the final week of his life, to go to triumphal entry, go to the cross, all that, Garden of Gethsemane, Temple, all the last week we're going to cover. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out, set his face for Jerusalem. He, I love this word, this idea. He resolutely turned toward his destiny. It's the pivot that produced the resurrection, the suffering, the passion of the Christ. It's the hinge on which all of Jesus' life turned. He doesn't have time to do healings anymore, stop and chat at people's homes. It's game time, and I gotta be about my father's business. It is the hinge, and man, what big doors swing on small hinges. Pivoting is really important. Athletes know it, know the power of the pivot. I used to play back in the day, little basketball, Jess Atkins was helping me on the CCU basketball team. I mean, we, I love basketball. Sometimes I'll, I would go over, not so much anymore. I'll give that to JT too. But sometimes I would go over and play basketball over in the student center. And every once in a while, I hit a shot. And I remember one of the teens saying, oh, dude, still got game. Oh, oh yes, I do. But in basketball, when you're in a post and you're ready and you're going to shoot, it's the pivot. You can't move your pivot foot. You got to get position. You pivot, make the shot. In golf, there is a point at which a pivot has to occur. Your, your weight shifts from your front to your back and back through again. And if you don't make that pivot, it's going to be a bad golf shot. It's going to be a bad jump shot. Businesses, churches have pivotal moments. Individuals have a pivot point that changes the whole destiny and end of their story. Some of you have pivoted. I've seen it. You've pivoted this year with your life. You've been inspired, motivated by God and our teaching team and your small group and what God is doing in your life. You pivoted. You're not who you want to be, but thank God you're not who you used to be. You pivoted. And some of you in this room and some of you watching online, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. This is your pivot point. Pivot. Move. Change. And Jesus here does that in spite of the internal and emotional weight upon him, Jesus pivots. I love the word resolutely. I dig, I dig a, a little deeper into a study of it. See, all of us are determined. Determined. It means to be determined. Seriously determined. Not a, not a casual determination. It's a determination about something that will not change. All of us here are determined about something. But the specific word here means to proceed steadfastly, to set your face like flint, to be determined, having already made up your mind, no turning back, burn the ships. I'm purposeful, I'm unwavering, I'm courageous, I'm unshakable, I'm tenacious, I'm unflinching. Nothing or no one is gonna stop me. 
from this cause. <laughs> kind of like the Del High skirt game organizers this week at Del High council meeting. Oh, I know some of y'all may be on that team. I gotta be, I gotta be careful. I, I, maybe you saw the news of the meeting. <laughs> Those people that showed up, Del High did not want to be woke. I can just tell you right now, they showed up. They were resolute. <laughs> they were determined. We're going to have our skirt game. I love the, the picture. You see the bottom right there? <laughs> Say yes to the dress. <laughs> now, I got to be sensitive because we have a lot of Delhesians here. When I first moved to Cincinnati, somebody invited me to go to this thing called the skirt game. After they described it, I said, you know what? No thanks. I said, it sounds effective, but it's odd. Could we just, I've been here 20, 19, 20 years. Could we just say it's a little odd? Great, glad they're doing it, glad we raised lots of money. It's odd. I also inherited an odd church culture when I showed up here too. It required a pivot as a leader. We had some unhealthy hearts, some unhealthy habits, but our elders and the members of this church and the early leaders 19 years ago when I showed up were resolute about making needed changes to keep us healthy, to get us healthy. We got criticism. I got anonymous letters you cannot imagine, but we refused to quit. I tell people I stayed just to spite some people <laughs> who told me it couldn't be done. I, we set our face resolutely toward church health. We're going to be healthy or we're going to go out of existence. We're, we're going straight to what God has called us to do. No turning back, no backing down. We're going to be healthy or die. We're going to reach people or we're going to die. We set our face resolutely to Route 128. We fought battles you will never have to fight. You're welcome. But you know what? I see in JT and our staff and elders that same kind of gritty, passionate, won't back out, won't tap out, won't go down, resolve. Game recognizes game. It's, it's another pivot coming, folks. We're already pivoting. Now, it's not for the same reason, and it's just a different kind of pivot. But every organization, every church has to pivot to reach brand new people, to reach younger people, to reach newer people, to reach people that the church has never reached. Part of the DNA of our church is we're always willing to pivot resolutely to do what God has called us to do. And that's not going to change. And I, can't, I applaud it. I get to see it happen. I get to coach and see it happen. When Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, it was death, it was Golgotha that he had in mind. It was game time, it was game on, and the devil and nobody else is going to stop me. And I'll just tell you right now, you have in our eldership, you have in JT, you have in our current staff, our new staff, you have people who say it's game time. I'm not backing down. We are not going to be disobedient to the heavenly call that God has put in our life, and I couldn't be prouder. It'll take that. Because don't you know the devil doesn't want a church to grow? The devil doesn't want you to do anything personally or collectively. The best days of this church are ahead, but a pivot has to occur. And you can never change a culture without changing the players in the culture. So I did a lot of pivoting back in the day. Now I'm pivoting to something new that God has called me to do. 
But I'll always be connected to Whitewater because this is my pivot of passion. You know, Jesus is going through these last days and weeks of his life reflecting on where he's been and where he's going. And I'm far from Jesus, but I get quite emotional when I think about the people that pivoted with me. The people that sacrificed and gave up their cults to go with us so you could be here. I reflect on our triumphs and our victories and our defeats together. And I can't be be emotional and thankful for the church God made Whitewater to be and how blessed I am to have served as a leader for a season when I pivoted here. And the motivation for me, and I believe it's the same motivation for Jesus, the driver that spurred such determination was love, compassionate, consuming love. We had an inward-focused church, and it needed to be outward-focused. And left to itself, church's natural gravitational pull will be insider. Just us. But we got to go after the lost, friends. That compassionate, consuming love motivated Jesus, and it's got to motivate us. Now Jesus' hour had come. All of this emotional energy and preparation was for this focused moment. And it seems to me that Jesus' determination for us, modeled here, should spur our own determination for him. See, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, is our journey. He resolutely turned his face toward death. And we are called to die for him as well. And it's not always comfortable. There are no comfort zones on a cross. I'm calling you to pivot to sacrifice, to die to self so others can live for him, to follow the nail-scarred feet of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords on the Calvary Road. Yes, it will be emotional, and it'll be emotional for you, but let's channel and model our emotions for the lost and the least like Jesus did in our backyard, in our community, in our cubicle, in our school, where we work, where we live, where we shop, where we work out. So this series is gonna be a blast as we right-size and focus are God-given emotions the way that Jesus did? Our reactions, our responses, our reactions should be sanctified and fully surrendered to the Lord. I want you to be as passionate as you can be heading up to Easter and coming into this holy week, coming into the greatest event in human history, the resurrection that changed life for all of us. So all of you are determined about something, but what if we tweak that determination to be more aligned with what Jesus was determined to do, to win a lost world? What if we flipped the switch and flipped the script so that our emotions reflected his emotions, that his passion became our passion, that the thing that broke Jesus' heart broke our heart, the things that Jesus saw we can see, the things that he thought we think, the things that he wanted to hear we hear, The things that he did, we do. Are we that kind of determined? You know, I've been joking a lot about uh, Vegas. It was fun. But honestly, there's a part of Vegas that's very dark. 
very broken, that tugged at Donna and I's heart. We were glad to go, but could I just say we were glad to leave? Thank God there are churches, some of our best churches that are doing their best in Sin City. They're torn because of what they saw. I get it. There's some parts of this city, this region, this nation that I see that I want to pivot to reach. I'm asking you to recommit to that. As we move toward the resurrection, I'm asking you to see the brokenness of our world. Don't see just what your agenda is. See another person that God loves. Feel their pain and set your face resolutely to change by restoring and redeeming what has been torn. The word that some of you need to hear, I, I got it. I got it this morning after the first service. This gal came up and said, David, I, I struggled to come today because I have high anxiety and worry. For some reason, I was drawn to come today. And she said, the word that you said, the word that I will live with from now on is resolute. She said, I am determined not to let the devil keep me from the assembling of, uh, with other God-fearing people. You will not get anywhere in your life. You will not overcome any sin, hurt, habit, or hang up without resolute determination. I will overcome. I will not quit. I will not compromise. There are a lot of qualities. You know, I get real introspective right now in my life as I try to pass on 20 years of learning to JT. And I have come to the conclusion that the one quality that I think helped me succeed, whatever success God gave me, it wasn't my good looks. I know that surprises you. It wasn't my intelligence, because I've never been the most intellectual guy in the world. It wasn't my talent. I just decided I was not going to quit. And nobody could outwork me, and nobody could outlove me. And I'm going to do both till God takes the breath out of my life. I'm still committed to that, just with more churches and not just one. That's the I won't quit. DNA of this church. It's what got us to where we are. That's what it'll take to get us where God's calling us to go through our leadership now. And I'm cheering you on. If I could have you stand, let's pray. And then Nick will lead us in a final song. God, thank you for the emotions of Jesus. Thank you for the colts and the donkeys that the treasures that people have given up so that you could be more famous. Thank you for the sacrifices of people that are in heaven now that paved the way for us to get here. And now those of us here now need to pay that forward. Help us, God, to be determined that we will make a difference like Jesus did. We will love the unlovable. We will seek that which is lost. Even though we are torn, God, we are determined. So help us to turn our eyes this week resolutely toward the mission you have called us to do. And we will give you glory and praise for everything that happens. May Jesus be our model of our last days as well. In Christ's name, amen.